How's everybody doing? Okay, good, yeah. Good grief. I'm sorry I'm not Josh Brooker, but, uh, you know, like... Uh, hey, can you guys do me a favor? Are there any um, sheriff's department, police department, uh, veterans or active military? Would you stand up, please? Anybody? A couple of you? Yeah, please stand up. Thank you, guys. Uh, we unfortunately live in a time that does not honor authority the way that we should, and uh, I want to personally say I want to thank you from our church. Uh, thank you. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for serving your community, uh, and thank you for serving your country. Um, it's crazy to think 9-11 was 15 years ago, right? Uh, I remember exactly where I was the morning when uh, we found out that the Twin Towers had been hit. I was on my way to, uh, I took a Canterbury Tales class, uh, my degree's in English, and I was on my way to see the dean of the English department when we found out that the Twin Towers had gotten hit. And I sat in his office and I saw a man that I didn't even know was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian at the time. Uh, but I sat in Dr. Connolly's office, who was the dean of the English department at the time. And a uh, man just sat there and wept. And uh, it was very humbling to see. So it's, it's interesting to think about what today represents. And uh, again, we thank you. We thank you for, for what you guys have done. And um, thank you. If you've never been to our church before, uh, if you've been here for the last month or so, you probably don't even know who I am. Uh, Josh has been teaching, and he did a phenomenal job. He did the book of Philippians, and um, it was wonderful. He uh, knocked it out of the park every single week. He's a fantastic uh, teacher. I'm really nervous. I'm happy to be back here. Uh, it's been a while, but um, it's good to be get back kind of doing what, I, what I'm usually most comfortable doing. If you've never been here, what Josh was doing is what we typically do. That's kind of our bread and butter here. We go line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, through whole books. Uh, next week, we'll start the Gospel of John. We'll be in that for a long time. Uh, but it's a great book of the Bible, one of my favorites, and uh, I think it'll be really, really good for this church. Now, a couple of times a year, we take a break from doing whole books of the Bible to do a couple of different things. We take a break usually in the summer and do a series. We're not really a series kind of church, but we do one a year, and it's typically just typically something about our culture or something that's going on in the world around us that we feel like we need to address. Uh, we also take a break for baptism services, which we have one coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, right after the worship night or the weekend of the worship night. And then we take a break twice a year and do vision services. Now, once upon a time, I used to be intimidated by doing these and, and think that it would bore people and it wouldn't be uh, uh, something they would enjoy, but I think they're vitally important. And every time I teach these, people come up and they just say, thank you. And the point of these vision services one is if I'm going to ask you to commit to this church with your time, your money, and your energy, I need to be very clear about what this church is going to do with your time, money, and energy. I believe I owe that to you. The other reason why we do a vision service is because the Bible says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, people die. Now, that's a literal thing. It's a, it's a spiritual thing and also a literal thing. If the church does not know where it's going, if it doesn't know what direction that the Lord wants them to go in, there are literally children in other, uh, other parts of the world that will starve to death and die because the church isn't giving its resources like it needs to, and it's not focused the way it's ne it needs to. There are hungry people in our community and people who are spiritually hungry in our community who will not receive what God wants them to receive if the church does not have a clear vision. So it's not me selling out and being corporate for doing a vision. We are doing what the Lord wants us to do. Where there is no vision, people die. So therefore, we want to make sure that our vision is extremely clear at this church. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. Uh, you have a notes handout. It has 
everything I'm going to say in it, virtually everything I'm going to say in it, it has the numbers and the stats and all that different stuff in there. I'd love for you to take that home after this, look over it, pray about how you can serve. We have booths and stuff set up in the sanctuary and outside of the sanctuary. And again, we, we're just going to just hopefully something I say today will convince you to want to kind of take the next step at the church. The other thing is, if this is not the right church for you, we're cool with that too. There's other great churches in town and we can help funnel you into other churches, maybe where you, where you can get plugged in better. We just wanna make sure that you're serving the kingdom of God, okay? So we're gonna pray, we'll get into this and um, we'll give you the opportunity to kind of look at some different things you can get involved in, okay? Uh, Lord Jesus, God, I, I, I love you. I thank you, Father. You've been so good to me. You've been so gracious. Lord, uh, because it's September 11th, Father, we just wanna thank you for the country we live in. We want to thank you for the freedom that I have right now to get up here and to teach uh, a, a biblical lesson, God, and to talk about the Bible and to talk about the church. We want to thank you, Jesus, just for the opportunities we have. God, we want to pray um, that people uh, sometime in the course of this lesson, that either they get provoked by your spirit or by something I say, God, to get involved, to serve their, their, their church and their city and their brothers and sisters in Christ better, God, or more. And we pray, God, that you just speak to our hearts today. We pray for every church in our community today. We pray, God, that your kingdom is advanced through them. We pray for the pastors and the staff and the leadership and the congregations, Lord. And we pray that we can get together and we can unify, Lord, for the glory of your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we lift you up, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if we're going to talk about what this church does, we first need to talk about what the church is. And to find out what the church is, of course, there's no better place to go than into the Word of God. Now, when you get into the Word of God, the Bible, the Bible talks about the church in two different ways, and it's not a building, it's not an organization or denomination. What the church is identified as in the Bible is two things. First, it's identified as the bride of Christ. So when people say, I love Jesus and hate the church, that's very derogatory towards God. It's very offensive to God because the two cannot be separated, they're married. We are the bride of Christ. The other thing that we're known as in the Bible is the body of God. And so there's a difference when we say the church, there's a difference between the, the capital C church and the lowercase c church. The capital C church is all of the people of God on planet earth. So all people who claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we are collectively the church, the capital C church. Now, the lowercase c church is like the experienced community church, a microcosm of the greater body of God. We're a smaller group. And though the church is a people, the capital C, we should not forsake the lowercase c church. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves gathering together, learning the word together, holding each other accountable, because the book of Hebrews says, do not forsake this. This is vitally important. So, if we're known as the bride of Christ, as a good bride, our job is to represent our husband in a positive manner. Listen to this. This is such a huge responsibility. God has given the church the responsibility to be the visible representation of the invisible God. That means that how the world views God is going to heavily depend on how they view the church how they view you and I. So if we're not nice to people, they're gonna think our God is not a nice God. If we're not generous, if we're not benevolent, if we're not kind, if we're not sacrificial, they're not gonna know that our God is all those great things. 
So we are the visible representation of our invisible God. Of course, one day we'll get to see him, but right now we can't. And as a healthy body, if we are the body, God is the mind. And as a healthy body, we simply do what the brain tells us to do. We take faith and we take the word of God and what God tells us, and we put it into action. That's what we do as a healthy body. Now, just a little snapshot of this specific body of believers, right? The lowercase c that is the experienced community. We're seven and a half years old and we're non-denominational, which means we're not connected to any large denomination, none. Uh, There's no one else we're connected with. Uh, We're a very Bible-driven church and we believe that the Bible is infallible. I know that every church says they're a Bible-driven church. When I say that though, we believe this is the ultimate authority. We teach it to the best of our abilities, chapter by chapter, line by line. Uh, We're a debt-free church. To some people, that's a big deal. To some people, they they really don't care. But we're debt-free, we have no debt, and we are completely self-sustained, which means when I get into the finances today, all of the numbers you see are you guys. This is your giving, your finances, your time, your participation. It's all you. We're a church that is always striving to stay simple. We try to, to, to not take on more and more and more. We want to do what we can do really well, and we try to stay very, very simple. We're also a church with no membership. That offends some people for some reason. They want to be a member of something. Listen, if you've been baptized, you're a member of the body of God. That's your membership right there. You don't need to get baptized into this church. You're getting baptized for Christ, not the experienced community. You don't have to get a letter from me if you want to leave this church to go to another church. You're not cattle. You're a human. And you have, I shouldn't have said that, but you have a brain and you're smart and you're an intelligent person. And if we're teaching the word and feeding you, you'll stay. And if we're not feeding you, you'll probably go. And so we don't have membership here. We're also a spirit-filled church. Doesn't mean that crazy tambourine lady's gonna be driving you nuts in the back. It doesn't mean you're gonna see running around guy or people yelling in tongues in your ear. Those things probably are not going to happen, but we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the operation of the Spirit. We teach those things and we practice those things as God sees fit and in an orderly way also as God sees fit. But we are a Spirit-filled church. We also believe in minoring on the minors and majoring on the majors. Sometimes people have a hard time with this one too. What this means is this, we can disagree on things that are not essential to your salvation. If you believe in once saved, always saved, or predestination, or if you're an Arminianist or a Calvinist, which if you don't know who those people are, it's totally fine, you can still go to heaven. So if you don't know those things, or if you disagree on those things, We can still worship together. We can still get together in fellowship and pull our resources together and work for the greater good of our community. That's fine. We'll major on the majors and we'll minor on the minors. Okay, so what is our role? This church, what is our role in our community? Again, if we're gonna find out what the church is supposed to do, the place to go and look for that answer is of course in the Bible is Jesus was ascending up into heaven at the very end, the tail end of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, what he says to his followers as he's about to send them out to be the church in the world, he says, go therefore, make disciples, baptize them and teach them. This is the vision statement of God. Whenever people are like, Corey, you're selling out with this three-part vision statement, this is Jesus's three-part vision statement. Go out and make disciples, baptize them, and continue to teach them to live like me. That's essentially what Jesus's mission was. This is called the Great Commission in the Bible. Now, how we do that 
gets a little bit more complicated. And what he says in Matthew 22, Jesus responding to a Pharisee that asks him, how do we be good Christians? He essentially said, we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we love the world around us, the people around us in a similar way with all of our heart, soul, and mind. So essentially what the church is called to do is to focus on these three parts of the pie for the greater good of the community around them. Now, most churches do a pretty good job of touching the spiritual side of this, and that is our greatest responsibility. The Bible says, first and foremost, Christ came to save sinners. So we need to focus first and foremost on the spiritual health of our community, but not at the expense or complete expense of reaching the physical needs of our community, which we're also called to do to help the widows and the orphans and the poor and the needy. We are also called to do that. And we are also called to address the mental issues of our community. That's why we have two Christian counselors on staff. That's why we talk about mental health. That's why counseling is good. That's why we invest in those things. Because there are three parts of this pie that God has called us to attack and to, and, and to deal with. And so it is the church's responsibility to try to do all three. Now we do our best to address these three parts of the pie with a simple vision. This is our church's vision statement. If you ever go into our foyer with all the crazy triangles all over the place, it has these words written just enormously large on the walls in there. Our vision statement is this, to lead people to Christ through authentic worship, that's what we're doing now, authentic community and authentic community service. Very simple stuff. And so what that means, let me go back, what that means is there is this process that we wanna put you into. Now we call ourselves a process-driven church, not an event-driven church, and that's not to knock on any churches, but event-driven churches are driven by big events, right? So there's a lot of married couples in our church, so we're gonna have a two-day marriage seminar. And so there's this other issue, so we're gonna have another seminar about this. And not that those are entirely bad, but we kind of see it differently. Instead of trying to fix your marriage in two days with an event, which isn't gonna happen by the way, we wanna put you into a married small group. We wanna put you in CR. We wanna put you in different classes that take you through this walk for months and months or maybe even years and years and put you on this process because God typically doesn't work in zap moments. Zap moments are where boom, instantly everything's fixed. That's typically not how God works. He's a miraculous God, but miracles come through processes most of the time. And so we wanna put you into this process. Now, what this big process looks like, like I said, this vision statement, is we wanna start off by getting people into weekend services, right? This is kind of just the first step, the bedrock, the foundation of everything. We wanna get you in, hearing the word of God, worshiping with other believers, taking communion together, responding to what the word has said to us but we hope to eventually move you into some kind of smaller microcosm at the church, whether that be a home group, life group, student ministries, evident small groups, or the evident group that we do, that's college and career, moving you into some kind of smaller microcosm. And then eventually over time, whenever you feel ready, we wanna get you into a place of serving the community, either inside the church or outside the church. We just wanna make sure that you are serving because the Lord has asked us to be a people that serve. Okay, so at the bottom of this, this is a new thing we're kind of developing and it's very, very simple, but we put a lot of work into this. At the bottom part of this, you see our vision statement, authentic worship, authentic community, authentic community service. Now this discipleship process is basically that, 
but we've kind of detailed it a little bit more. We've broken it down into a couple more steps. And I want to walk you through this, okay? It's very, very simple. It's not complicated at all. The first one is entry points. This is basically easy ways for you or your family or your neighbors or your friends or students or whatever the case may be, entry points for people to come and kind of get their feet wet at this church. Now, there's a bunch of those. The biggest one, of course, is this, right? What you're doing right now. Weekend services. We do it on Saturday nights. We do it on Sunday mornings. And this is at the bedrock of growing spiritually. Now, it says again in Hebrews 10.25 to not forsake this. There is an interesting correlation that I find in almost every meeting I have with people who are not spiritually healthy. I have about 12 meetings a week on top of the other meetings I have, but 12 meetings a week with people at the church, right? And so when people come in, They'll tell me about how their marriage is falling apart or they're addicted to porn or they've, they've, they've kind of gone back and they're doing drugs again or they're drinking too much or whatever the case may be. And nine times out of 10, when I ask them, are you at church every single weekend? They say no. There's almost always a direct correlation with church attendance and spiritual health. And so whenever people say to me, hey, I'm, say to me, I'm fine. I don't have to go to church. If you walk that out long enough, you're gonna see it is spiritually not healthy for you or your family. I don't care what anyone says and I'll fight it tooth and nail. You and I need church. We need to be here. We need to worship corporately. Even if you're not feeling like it, whenever people come up to me and they're just like, I haven't been there in a while because I messed up and I've been shameful. Then you should have come to two services last week. <laughs> this is where you need to be when you're screwing up. This is where you need to be when you're not feeling it. This is your sanctuary. This is your safe place. This is the least judgmental group of people you will ever be around ever, ever, ever. We are such a forgiving, gracious body of believers. This is where you need to be. Weekend services are just detrimental to your spiritual health. Another good entry point is next class. If you talk to people who are maybe a little bit intimidated to come to a bigger church or, or, or to church at all, if you invite them to a next class, we have one tomorrow. It's very casual. We meet in here. We give a tour of the church. I tell people my testimony. If they still want to come to church after that, that says a lot. I tell them my testimony. They get to meet some of the staff. We told them how the church started and they get to ask any questions that they want to ask. We're a complete open book. And so next class is a good way to do that. We also have prayer nights. That's another good entry point. It's usually the same week as worship nights, but the one coming up, I think, is the week before. That's where we get together. We pray for each other, with each other. You can be prayed uh, for if you have any needs. And it's just a time just for us to pray. Another great entry point is our worship nights. Again, we have one coming up on the 30th. Um, this would be our most spirit-filled event, right? clear out the chairs. This is where people can get revived and recharged. And it's very comfortable and it's very exciting. It's just a really free atmosphere to come and just kind of get just pumped up and revived. And it's really cool to be in a room packed with people worshiping. It's just really neat to see. Anyways, this is another great entry point. So those are some ways to kind of get in and get your feet wet. Now, once you've gotten your feet wet, it's time to kind of move on to the next couple of stages where you have opportunities to grow as a believer. Now, again, we have lots of ways for you to grow. One of the unique ways at this church that we have, if people are struggling with, with pretty serious issues, 
suicidal thoughts, deep depression, uh, debilitating anxiety, things like that. We have two counselors that are both master's degree levels working on their PhDs right on the other side of this wall. Now that's by appointment only, and it does cost a little bit of money, but compared to most counselors, it is a fraction of the price, and they are brilliant, awesome counselors. So if that's something you need, that's something we offer. If you don't have the opportunity, or maybe you don't need one-on-one counseling, the greatest thing that we do at this church happens on Wednesday nights. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Is there any, well, I guess I shouldn't ask that. Last night at the seven o'clock, and there's one. Last night at the seven, like there was a cheering section for Celebrate Recovery. It was awesome. On the other side of this wall, we have a chapel that seats a couple hundred. There's about 75, 80 people that meet over there every Wednesday. They eat dinner at six, they have service at seven, and then after that, they break up into small groups by gender and by uh, uh, struggles that they have. And it is, it is everything that church should be. It's for any addiction, any hangup, any emotional struggles, codependency, substance abuse, anything you struggle with, they, they are the most accepting loving people. You will get more hugs over there than anywhere else in the church. It is a phenomenal thing to get involved in. Every Wednesday at six o'clock. We have life groups that meet on campus. There's free childcare available for those. We have those all throughout the week. If you go out these doors and talk to Dave and Andrew, they will give you a list of all the life groups we have. A little bit different from that is what we call home groups. This is, this is hard to wrap your brain around. They meet in homes. And so the home groups are more evangelistic in nature, basically meaning that they are sent out to kind of witness to their neighborhoods. And so also, if you go out, we have about eight or 10 home groups going on right now. We need more of those. And so if you feel led to do that, we'd love to put you on the path of starting a home group. So we have counseling, celebrate recovery, life groups, home groups. We have evident groups. That's our college and 20-somethings. They meet once a month on Thursdays. They have a big worship service and in the hopes of signing people up for small groups. So we kind of do college ministry a little bit different than most churches. Instead of just having big worship services every week, our goal is to plug college students into small groups and homes. Right now, we have about 130 to 150 college students that go to small groups every single week, and that's our goal. But we need more leaders for that, but that's a way to plug in. We also have student ministries. Believe it or not, crazy-looking guy that does announcements does a pretty good job with students. He's got a couple of hundred students, Corey does. He's teaching the book of Revelation right now, which, I mean, imagine all these high school students, man, they're like getting into the Revelation. I think they're on chapter 13 this week. And so if you go over there on Wednesdays, he does a fantastic job with that encounter. We have Eon that meets all four services in their own worship space right down the hall. They do a phenomenal job with that. Another way to get plugged in is we have morning prayer groups. Recently, there was someone that, that, that approached our staff and said, man, I wish we were a church that prayed more. And I'm like, man, we have 6.30 to 9.30 open every single morning, and we've never seen you there. But anyways, so we have, that was mean too, right? That was strike two. I got one more. I'm going to wait till later, and it's going to be a, a doozy. Uh, we have prayer from 6.30 in the morning to 9.30 in the morning. I'll brag on my buddy, Eric. He's the assistant, uh, the assistant district attorney for the county. And he's there every single morning at 6.30 and prays till 7.30. Really neat for the city and for all the people that he's gonna represent uh, uh, as a lawyer that day. Shows up every morning. Um, our participation in small groups is actually pretty good. On average, a church has to about 25 to 30%. Our church right now has about 33% of our uh, people from, from age 12 up 
are plugged into some kind of small group. And that's not bad, but I will not be satisfied with that until it's 100%. I will keep hammering and hammering and hammering small groups because as, as big as our church has gotten, and guys, you don't have to be a big church. If you're a church of a couple hundred, you have to find a smaller microcosm of people to have community and accountability with. You need to consider that and pray about that. We also have a thing called Experience University. A lot of you have been through that and it's great. Three different times a year, and you should have gotten a thing in your handouts to tell you the dates when those start. Three different times a year, they're typically right after worship nights, we begin a series of classes. Of course, they're totally free. They take four weeks apiece, and we walk you through the basics of our faith into how to study the Bible, how to pray, and how to fight spiritual warfare. And then we move you into apologetics, so deep, hard-hitting questions of how to, to adequately defend your faith. We will walk you through that. Uh, these are going to be online soon because sometimes everyone can't make it on Sundays, but right now it's on Sundays uh, after the service, after the, the last service, and they will be online soon. Now, once you've gone through those, this is a new thing that we're offering. We're going to offer discipleship training. And what this is, is it's a 12-week course and we're gonna put you through this and it comes with curriculum and it comes with all these different things and we're gonna hook you up with one-on-one -on -one disciples, people who are going to walk with you one-on-one -on -one. and we're gonna walk you through this in the hopes of you committing to discipling one to three people when you get out of that class. We're gonna offer this three times a year and the reason why we are putting so much energy into making disciples like this is the first thing Jesus told us to do as a church is make disciples, not entertain you, not have a great Sunday service, make disciples. So we're working our hardest to make disciples. Now guys, 16 weeks of EU and 12 weeks of this, that's a lot to ask, 28 weeks. Jesus Christ asked 152 weeks out of his disciples. We're asking for a fifth of that. And so we just want to get a little bit of your time and it will change your life and it may change the life of lots of people around you. The last part of this is serving. We have lots of opportunities to serve. Now, I don't know if you knew this, we, we purposefully put our services together, two and two, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, to make it easy to serve within the church. I know you guys are busy, but if you wanna get involved in children's ministry, Echo or Eon or Emerge or the nursery, if you wanna get involved in that, you can serve at one service and then attend the next one or attend one and serve at the next one. It's very, very easy. Now again, I'll brag on our church. Right now we have almost half of all the adults in our church serving in some capacity. That's really, really good comparatively, right? Okay, now let me turn that the other way. That's only half. If we're all Christians in here, which I know not everyone in here is a believer yet, but if you claim to be a believer, guys, you need to be serving. Jesus gives us the example of being a servant when he washes his disciples' feet, right? We're all to be serving. So it is an honor to serve the church. It is an honor to serve the community. When I first got saved in 2002, I was the obnoxious new Christian. I don't know if you guys ever knew those people. I was the guy that came in like two hours early before the pastor, like I'm waiting at the door and he's like, why are you here? And I was the last one to leave. They would dim the lights, which means Corey, it's time to go home. But I was so grateful 
for what God had done for me and for what the church had done for me. It was an honor to serve. I just wanted to serve. And we have so many opportunities for you to serve. It's an honor to do so. It's an honor to work on the hospitality team. It's an honor to hand people the pamphlets, to make them coffee, to make the communion. It is an honor to do that. You are the first face that most people see when they come into our building. And that is a huge responsibility. And it's an honor to do that. It's an honor to work with ECHO. That's our children's department. We have a generation coming up right now that is essentially fatherless. Men, let me put you on the spot for a second. It's not women's, just women's job to go back there and deal with the kids of our church. They need a lot of young men and older men who can go back there and be strong male figures for these boys and girls that are growing up. Most of them have never had that in their life. And so a lot of you men need to sign up. Sign up for nursery. Change some poopy diapers for Jesus. It would just bring glory to him. And uh, we'll like you a lot for doing that. Anyways... You can sign up with Eon, right? That's middle school kids. The worst years of your life, right? And you can sign up and walk with those kids. When I was in middle school, I was listening to like Tupac and I wore my like braided belt on the side. Had no idea who I was in middle school, right? Some of you guys are like offended by that. Anyways... Middle school is the worst years of your life, and we need people to plug into that and to walk with these kids. We do a thing called bar ministry. Every Friday night, we take a hot dog stand out to the, to the square, and the square is all lawyers and bars now, oddly enough. And so we go out there, and when all the people are shuffling out of the bars, we give them hot dogs, we give them water, and we talk with them for no other reason but to make sure that they get home safely. We see this as a way of serving our city and making it a safer place to be on Friday nights. Now, what's interesting about that is we've baptized tons of people from that, not because we're out there just proselytizing and hitting them with King James Version Bibles. We're just out there loving our city and making sure that they're safe. We also do art classes here. If you want to sign up for that, we have a couple of great artists led by Diane Stockard. You don't have to be an artist, but the reason why we teach art classes is we take these low-income neighborhoods, we take the kids from McFadden Community Center, not the school, but from the community center that go over there, and we offer free art classes. Now, they're not just like finger painting on like, you know, coffee filters. They're actually painting on canvases, and they're learning how to use acrylics and oil paints. They're learning real art something that they'll never have the opportunity to do. I shouldn't say never, but most likely not have the opportunity unless the church offers that. Well, Corey, what business does the church have doing art classes? Because the first thing God is known for is being a creator. God's the best artist that's ever been there. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we should also be teaching beauty to the community around us. You can get involved in that. That's awesome. We have a maintenance team that meets here on Tuesdays, a bunch of men that get together and they have a list. This building, every time it rains, it's a fun game. It's find the new leak, right? So this building has all kinds of maintenance issues and we need people just to volunteer and help. We need help with the nursery. There's great opportunities on our yard days. We do two a year where we go and we literally cut a couple hundred yards, all these blocks. We cut their yards, weed eat, mulch, take care of our neighborhood around us because it's the right thing to do. We have an, an, an opportunity for you to serve and emerge. 
That's our special needs ministry. So kids with autism or kids with, with uh, uh, physical handicaps, we partner them up with a buddy and we include them in everything that our students do over there. And they, they have someone that's with them the whole time to meet any needs that they may have. You can get involved in that. We need evident leaders. Most people lose their faith while they're in college. And right now, I think we have five or six uh, home groups for our, our college students, and we need more. Every single month, when we have people sign up at Evident, which we've only been doing for a couple of months now, we need basically a new small group every month to be added to that Evident group. Now, if that's something you're interested in, we need you for that. We simply want you to take ownership of your church. Whenever people say, I love your church, I'm like, it's your church. It's your church. This is your sanctuary. This is your body of believers. And listen, we're open to new ideas. If you have some great ideas, let us know. If you want to plant a garden out in some of these islands out in the parking lot, or if, if you want to come by during the week and help out some of the staff people, we don't have a whole lot of staff, and there's a lot of work to be done. If you want to help stuff those pamphlets that you guys get, we have to do about 2,000 of those every week, and so there's ladies that show up and stuff those things and cut stuff and print stuff. If you want to help us with that stuff, we always need help. Let us know. And also, not just inside our church and with our church, Every single month, we highlight different nonprofits. We're highlighting one that's not local. We're highlighting Compassion International this month. But typically, we highlight local nonprofits. And you don't have to serve in our church. We just want you to serve the kingdom of God. You can serve great organizations like Portico. I take a lot of pride in that two of the, 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 the women that work there come to this church, and they're very heavily involved, and they do a lot of great stuff for our city. And, and I'm just very prideful, uh, 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 take a lot of pride in that. But they always need more volunteers. So you can go to Portico. You can go to Young Life. Young Life always needs more help. They have a, a lot of students. Churches can't go into high schools anymore, but Young Life can. So this church gets behind Young Life, and we need to get behind Young Life, not just with our finances, but some people need to step up and lead. Greenhouse Ministries, Journey Home, Salvation Army, Soldier's Child. That's what we partnered with for our last uh, worship night. The FCA, we've recently built good relationships with the FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that goes into schools. Stepping Stones that helps homeless women with children. The Shepherd's Foster Closet, which helps orphans in our town. Special Kids that helps kids with special needs. These are all these organizations that we get behind financially, and we need to get, them, uh, get behind them also with our volunteerism. And you can get information back in the corner of the sanctuary on any of those groups. Okay, so here's the uncomfortable part, right? Let's talk about finances. At our church right now, we budgeted out this year $1.9 million. That's what we thought we were gonna bring in this year. Uh, our church has always grown rapidly and um, it's hard to predict what's gonna happen from year to year. But we thought we'd bring in about 1.9 and so we built a budget around 1.9. What we've actually brought in, um, it looks like we're gonna hit about $2.6 million that will come into the church this year. The way we know that is we average about $45,000 a week. Of course, if you multiply that, you come out with roughly about $2.6 million that will uh, come into the church this year. Right now, we have about $370,000 in our savings account. We had upwards, uh, uh, upwards of about $800,000 before we did this build out. And so our budget for this year, I'm going to break this down. I'm going to show you where every single dollar that's given to this church goes. About $639,800 of that goes towards staff. We budgeted out more than that, 
um, but there's been a couple of circumstances that have come up, and uh, we haven't got to hire a couple of people that we were really looking at. One of them lives in Great Britain, and we just can't get her over here, and that's been a struggle. But um, we budgeted out 702, but we're actually going to spend somewhere about 640 uh, on staff. Now, whenever people think we're getting rich at this church, I don't know if they saw my 2002 Ford Escape or what, but whenever people think that we're getting super rich around here, the average full-time employee at this church makes $38,000 a year with no benefits. Now, just to let you know, because most of you probably get benefits through whatever job you work for, um, Corey Drake, for instance, has to pay $300 a month for health insurance out of the money he makes. So if, if we're averaging $38,000 a year, and some of my staff has to pay somewhere around four grand a year just for their health insurance, uh, no one's getting rich around here is what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at. Um, we also spend about $75,000 a year in childcare. That's for people who work in the nursery, not right now, they're volunteers on the weekend, but all throughout the week because we have so many groups, we have childcare for them that we pay for, and it's in the neighborhood of about $75,000. Um, our facilities and our operations, that's rent, that's utilities, that's upkeep, that's uh, um, anything that would be facilities-wise, printing, things like that, our copy machine, all those things, equal up to about $747,000, about a third of our budget. Um, we also have ministry costs. That's all the budgets for the different ministries. So like the food for 5,000, that's the homeless ministry that we do here. Um, the curriculum for children's, all those different things add up to about $316,000 a year. We try to put about 3% of our budget into savings. We actually do more than that, but that's a very modest estimation. And then this year, we wrote a check for about $440,000 to renovate the area you're sitting in to do all this back there, the offices, the parking lot, all that stuff. We paid for all that in cash. That was a sad day when you have to write a check for almost half a million dollars. The part I do like to talk about with finances are what we do with benevolence and missions. Now, let me explain this a little bit. We had budgeted out 20% of $1.9 million which is $380,000. That's what we were committed to give away this year, prayerfully and, 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 and with a lot of consideration, to give out to our community, our nation, our world, okay? Now, because giving has been more than we thought, if we're gonna stick to 20%, which I'm not 100% sure we can pull off or not, but to stick to that, we're gonna have to give away somewhere in the neighborhood of $540,000 this year. And that goes towards a lot of great things, and I'll show you that here in a second. Uh, we give money to three churches in New England, in Burlington, in, in uh, Salem, and in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, we just gave a pretty large chunk of money to a school that's being built in Uganda to educate kids in Uganda. We give money to South America. We give money to a lot of great organizations here in town. Um, again, I listed a bunch of them, Portico and Young Life and Salvation Army and Greenhouse and all these different organizations. That's where all that money is going. And if you want more detail on that, you can go back to the back and check it out. And all the money you just saw, guys, that's you. It's not anyone else. That's not us fundraising. That's not book sales because uh, it's not selling that well. It's not any of that stuff. That is from you guys. We have no outside support from any denominations or organizations. And again, we're a debt-free church. Now listen, we are always working to be as good of stewards with your money as humanly possible. We're also looking at how we can somehow purchase this building because rent goes up and a mortgage might be cheaper, but I'll be honest with you, and I don't know the answer to this. None of us do yet. We talk about it a lot. We're trying to figure out how we can get into this building without compromising our vision. 
without compromising how we feel about debt, without compromising how we feel about how we spend money. We're, seeing, we're just trying to be the best stewards of money that we can possibly be. So what is tithing? Tithing is giving 10% of your income to the cause of ministry and spreading the word. Now listen, right now about a quarter, I put 20 to 25, it's actually a little bit higher than that. It's about 25 to 30% of our church gives on a consistent basis at least once a month. That's including the staff that works here. Now listen, instead of me guilting you into giving money, I want to somehow maybe encourage you. Seeing all that we do with the money that we give, with only a quarter of the church giving, you see how much we can do for our community, for other states up in New England, for other continents like Africa. You see what we can do with just a quarter of us giving. I want to ask you, what could we do if half of our church gave? What could we do if 75% of our church gave or 100% of our church gave? Let me paint you a picture. If 100% of our church gave, we could buy this building in cash in about eight months. And then listen to this, the $50,000 a month or so that we spend on rent right now, we could just give to the community. What could look different in Murfreesboro? Listen, the three churches that we sponsor up in New England, since we have gotten just financially involved with them, they've been able to hire staff and those three churches have all grown 20% in the last three years because of this church getting involved financially. So what could we do if more of us stepped up, trusted God, trusted the church with their money, and if we gave? Now look, is tithing biblical? You know how I approach tithing now? The same way I approach baptism. If you have to ask me if it's biblical for you to give to the cause of spreading the gospel, I question your heart. And so when people say to me, well, I don't know if tithing is biblical. Okay, well, in the New Testament, since Christ died for us, we owe him everything, including the breath in our lungs. So to give 10% of our income should not be something we should whine about so much. Are you guys out there? I know no one likes to talk about this stuff. Look, I don't know who gives. I put that in yellow. I have no idea. If you have never given to this church, I have no idea. I don't want to know. But I was reading Galatians 6 the other day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little, little snarky here for a second. I was reading Galatians 6 the other day. And at the end of Galatians 6, it says, rich people need to be willing to share and be willing to be generous. Now, in our North American culture, we're like, that's right. It's that 1%. That 1% needs to start giving more. That 1% needs to step up and do their part. Do you know if you put us on the global scale, every single person in this room is in the top 1%? So guess who needs to step up, guys? The North American church needs to step up. Not just the rich, we're rich. If you compare us to the people who make a dollar a day, which is 70% of the world, we're doing quite well. We need to step up and be generous. Listen, I don't know who gives, don't wanna know, but I can attest to this because my wife and I have always been faithful tithers ever since we've known what tithing was. And my wife and I have never had excessive amounts of money or excessive amounts of anything, but we've always been provided for and we've always been taken care of because God is faithful. You guys are still out there, right? Okay, good, just making sure. I'm almost done with money. I wanna say this though. We take all this seriously. We take it seriously because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. 
and it costs money, and it takes time. And all I'm asking you to do is I simply ask you to honor God with your finances so we can reach Murfreesboro, so we can reach New England, so we can reach Africa, so maybe we can expand and start hitting San Francisco, the least church city in the country besides Burlington, Vermont, so we can reach out and help other churches that need us to step up. Here's the thing. We are the church. That means all of us. That doesn't mean people who just do it for a living. That doesn't mean just people who come to church every single weekend. We are the church. We are collectively what God has called to change the world around us. And now I've already used my three snarkinesses. Here's my fourth. And listen, I'm going to say this with, with all the humility I can muster up. What we've done in the United States is we've created a church culture that says sit back and let the professionals do it. Show up, let us entertain you, let us make sure the lights and the sound and everything is good for you. We don't want anything out of you except for your money, just give us that and you guys show up next week and just, just be good until we see you again. What we've done is we've made salvation, Christianity and church cheap and we refuse to participate in that model. I will run this church in the ground teaching holiness and generosity before I give in to entertaining you every single week and making this a comfortable environment for you to sit in. If this church ever becomes comfortable, someone needs to walk up and hit me in the back of the head because Christ has never called us to comfort. He's called us to be adventurous with our faith, to be generous and dangerous with our faith. And we refuse to participate in a safe church model. And so what needs to happen is church must move beyond it just being about us. You should not be in here right now for any other reason but to get connected to Christ for your spiritual health and for the greater spiritual health of the people you influence. That's why you're here, at least why you should be here. You're not here to meet me. You're not here to meet Josh or Kyle or Andy or anyone else. You're not here uh, uh, for any kind of uh, economic gain or any kind of social gain. You need to be here to get closer to Christ. Now listen, I will do my best to be accessible to this church. You know, if you call this office, if anyone ever calls this office and sets an appointment with me, it may take four or six weeks, but I will make it and I will be there with you and I will not cancel on you. I'd meet as many people as I can humanly meet every single week and still get my lesson done. Josh does that, Corey does that, Patrick does that, Andy does that, Sarah does that. We all do that. We work to the best of our ability, but listen guys, one person can only effectively help 125 people, which means you cannot depend on me. You must depend on Christ. You must depend on Christ. And if you want to go to a church where you can eat lunch with your pastor every Tuesday and Thursday until Christ comes back, you're going to have to go to a church that's about 40 people. It just is not possible. So be patient with us. I think sometimes people forget that not only are we an inexperienced staff, none of us have done this before. All of our degrees are in secular fields, English or, or Orco or, or uh, Kyle got a degree in air traffic control. I mean, like we've never done this church thing before. Some people forget that. And some people forget that we're only seven and a half years old. We're still a baby church. We've gotten quite fat in those seven and a half years, but we're still a baby church. And so when some people say to me, Corey, the Methodist church that I left did all these things. I'm like, the Methodist church you left is 200 years old. Money's just rolling out of it. And your, your pastor had a PhD in divinity. We're none of those things. 
We're not perfect. Please be patient with us. Please don't be so easily offended. If you pull your family out of this church and leave and go somewhere else because I said one thing you don't agree with, can we just be open? That's dumb. And before you get so easily offended, call, I will call you back, and hopefully I will give you the most clarity that I can give you. And usually one conversation will clear up any miscommunications you or I might have. Please do not get offended. We are a group of Christians right now that carry around a spirit of offense, and we need to let some things go. Moving on. So what we need to do, this is, the, this is something I want to push on you guys. We need to invest in ourselves, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of those around us. It is literally this easy. Attend church, study the Word of God, pray fast. We're going to get to do a good fast here in a couple of months, 40 days. Serve, and if we personally connect better with God, everyone around us will have a greater opportunity of connecting with God. And we have to keep an outward vision. The community and people who don't know Christ are the main focus. One of the ones I have the biggest problem with is people come up and they're just like, man, we're leaving because the church is too big now. There's too many people getting baptized, too many people getting saved, right? So when Moses was leaving, when he was bringing the millions of Israelites out of Egypt, do you think he and Joshua sat back and they're like, you know, we're not going to have the intimacy we used to have when we were a small group. Why don't we leave a couple million in, in slavery and bondage? The rest of us will go to the promised land. That sounds good. Of course that's not what he did. Because it's not about just our individual comforts. It's about the greater kingdom of God. And the more people we're baptizing, the more people are hearing the gospel, the more people who are growing into an intimate relationship with Christ, that is the goal of the church. Not to be comfortable, but to advance the kingdom of God. Now, let me encourage you for a second. Leave on a positive note. So Jesus drew his disciples. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he taught what's called the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most important or some of the most important chapters in the entire word of God. So Jesus calls his closest disciples up. He sits down on the mountainside, and one of the first things he says to his followers, you guys, the Christians, he said, you are the salt of the earth. What he means is, to his disciples, he said, when you go back out into your community, what you carry inside of you, listen guys, what you carry inside of you makes life worth living. So when you go out into your schools, when you go out into your works, when you go out into the art community or the music community, when you go out into the public realm, when you go out into government, when you go out into whatever sphere of influence you have, you are to be the one that brings in the flavor of that environment. You are the salt of the earth. That is your purpose as the church, Jesus says. And he goes on to say, but if you lose your identity, if you forget your importance, if you forget what I've enabled you to be, what I've, uh, what I've given you the opportunity to be, if you forget that though, you've lost your saltiness and you're no good. You're not good for anything. Listen, if the church is not going out making the community better, the church is worthless. It is worthless. If we have lost our saltiness, if we have lost our identity, we are worthless as a church. Jesus takes it up a notch. He goes on, he says, you're also the light of the world. A, situ a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. 
You don't take a lampstand and put it under a basket. Instead, you take a lampstand and you hold it up so it lights up everything around it. That's what you are, Jesus says. You're the light of the world. So he says, light, let your light shine before men. Go out and do good works. Not so they say you're awesome. Not so they say the experience is awesome. So they glorify the Father in heaven and people's lives are changed by our good deeds. I know we're not saved by those, but listen, we're saved. Therefore, we should want to go out and do good works before men. You are the salt and you are the light. You are the church. You are God's vessel to bring change to the people around you. We cannot be apathetic. We cannot be lazy. This cannot just be a weekend thing. Hey, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know why numbers are a little bit low today? Because the NFL started today. Does that bother anyone besides me? It's the first, uh, first NFL Sunday, and therefore our attendance today will be low. My God, this is what we've made church to be. It's this weekend thing, unless my favorite football team is playing. Then it's not even a weekend thing. And what I hope to convince you guys of today, I hope, is that it's bigger than this. It's bigger than the weekends. We are called not only to obey God, we're called to be holy. The Bible says be holy like he is holy. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that we're constantly growing closer to him. And the closer we grow to, G grow to Jesus, the more we love like him, the more we serve like him, the more we talk like him, the more we think like him, that we are to grow into holiness that we are called to serve, that we are called to continually grow. It's not just saying a prayer when you're 13 years old and then living however you want until Jesus comes back. That is bad theology. That's dangerous theology. Whenever people come up to me and they're just like, hey, can you pray for my son? He's a heroin addict that's cheating on his wife, but I know he's saved. He got saved when he was 14. And I'm like, did he? You're to continually be growing towards Christ. To be saved is to be continually walking towards the Father until he comes back. We're called to be generous people. If you're waiting till you have the time and have the money, I've never had the time or had the money, but we're generous because Christ is generous and he honors that generosity. And we as the church, and I'm talking to specifically the experienced community. We as the experience must war against the temptation to simply make this a consumeristic thing about us. There is too much at stake. There is too much at stake for us to constantly consume and never put out. Now there's a grace period Jesus gave it three years. There was a grace period where we consume, we consume, we consume. But eventually the Holy Spirit needs to be pouring out of us and positively affecting everyone around us. <sighs> Guys, you're a great church. This sounds goofy. Statistically, you're a great church. I can take the numbers of you getting involved and you're giving it, and comparatively, you're a great church but I would not be a good pastor if I don't continually push you towards further and further degrees of excellence. Give, serve, be involved. Put your back into it because time is growing short. 
And the world is getting crazier and crazier, and it needs the church. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, there's communion all the way around me. There's, there's tables with lamps on it. If you're a, a believer in this room, if you've given your life to Christ, and if you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, everyone is welcome to take communion. Here's what I would like you to do while you're taking communion. I would like you to, to pray about where God needs to plug you in and how you need to serve the kingdom. As you're taking communion, the representation of the body and blood of Jesus that was given for us let us remember the sacrifice and service that he gave for us, and hopefully that will prompt us to serve and sacrifice for him. There's also people on my left, your right, if you need prayer for anything, anything. It can be completely unrelated to anything we've talked about. If you need prayer for anything, go let these men and women pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, I just want to thank you for this church. Lord, this is a great church. These are great believers, Lord. Father, I pray that you strengthen us, encourage us. Lord, do not let us grow weary of doing good. Let us go out into our community. Let us serve, God. Let us work to the best of our abilities for your kingdom, for your glory. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself to communion and prayer.